Hello there. We're trying to keep Coral Chihuahua going, and so we draw your attention to the possibility of listening to us on Patreon for just a few quid a month. This also magically gets rid of the ads. That's Patreon with an E, patreon.com forward slash Coral Chihuahua. On with the app. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, Coral World, and welcome to another edition of Coral Chihuahua. <laughs> day up, down, day up, down. New jingle. Uh, the gang's all here. Harry's still in Kent. Hi there, everybody. Eamon in Sussex. Hello. And I'm Robert Hollingworth here at the University of York, where I must say it's been an absolute delight to get back to working live in the room with my MA solo voice ensemble singer students this week. And this in addition to Harry and Eamon working virtually with Genesis 16 students recently. It's not normality, but at least it's a start. Today, it's a guest episode, so I should say my castaway today is a bass baritone of unimpeachable moral character, and he's also in some senses a character baritone. He was part of a very classy bottom line in E. Fagellini for about 15 years from 1992, during which he was asked to do some fairly peculiar things. He also sang in the 16, both as a member of the bass section, but also as a soloist. And he sung many times for Harry over in Boston at the Handel and Haydn Society. He's a man of whom I've literally never heard a bad word spoken, and the singer into whose enormous shoes my colleague Eamon here had to step when joining Eve Agile in 2007. Welcome, Matthew Brooke. Good morning, and Borada from Wales. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's kick off with a bit of music. Let's hear you singing. Harry, can you set the scene? Well, yes, I mean, it's got Wales in it, but it's a WH Wales um, and God created Great Wales from the creation, um, a performance we did live back in uh, 2015 in May. Um, it, and it's just gorgeous. It, it shows Matthew off to, to ah, he's just gorgeous singing, uh, beautiful word painting. And of course, you're accompanied by those gorgeous violas and cellos and the, and the bass. Great whales and every living creature that moveth, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful. 
God created great whales from Haydn's creation with Harry Christophers here conducting the Handel and Haydn Society of Boston, Massachusetts. Matthew, lovely to hear you there. And your work these days is almost entirely as a soloist in opera, oratorio and concert work. Yes, pretty much. I uh, still do a, a little bit of consort work uh, with the Dunedin consort. So sometimes it's one to a part, um, especially when we do our recordings. Hmm. But the rest of the work, uh, yeah, is uh, a bit more opera in the last few years and, uh, and hopefully uh, back to concert singing at some point. Well, I was just having a look on your website. Um, uh, both extraordinary to see what you would have been doing and uh, horrifying just to see how much you know work has been cancelled. I mean, where would where would you have been today? Today, I would have been in Cornwall actually um, preparing for uh, the first night of the Centendelium Festival, which is something I've done for nearly twenty years. Uh, and then I would have been uh, preparing Tippett's Child of Our Time with the CBSO uh, uh, for the prom, because that 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 can't happen now. So those those would have been the things that uh, were coming up. Mm. Well, we mustn't dwell on it. But right back, can, can you? Do you have a first musical memory? Can you remember first singing or playing or seeing a concert? Uh, well, I'm number five of six children, and um, I think my earliest memory is singing with my brothers and sisters in the lounge, uh, practicing um, a song that we used to sing for the uh, old folks' homes and for the sort of Methodist church concert uh, parties we used to have. And uh, I, th I think it was Lily the Pink. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Lily the Pink. And, and I was trained very carefully, because uh, I was the one at the end, to to bend my knees after everybody else so that I was out of sync. And I think uh, things have remained like that ever since. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I remember it was, it was singing definitely with the family um, uh, in concerts. And uh, those, those are my earliest memories, really. I, I remember talking to you about, um, you know, sort of decisions when you get to that stage, what am I going to do? And you said that age 16, you weren't sure whether you wanted to go into acting um, or, or singing. I mean, both precarious uh, professions, as we're all terribly well aware now. But uh, did you have something inside that led you to express yourself in that way? Or was it just something you were told to do and you did for fun with the family? I mean, clearly that was part of it. Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, I think you're born with with things, aren't you? And, uh, and, I, and I think that um, as far as the acting uh, 
animal inside me that that was always there and i think uh, when i hear recordings of all my brothers and sisters singing we all had this you know some people maybe have just a wonderful glorious voice some people are really text led aren't they and they go with that and i think uh, I remember my dad training us and, and it was always to do with text, tech, text and storytelling. So I think it was an inbuilt thing and he would uh, drum on that as well. Um, I, I just think that's that's how I've always uh, approached it. And then, you know, hopefully when you get to training, you can work on the beauty of the voice and uh, make sure that, uh, that all facets make sense. It's it's fascinating how the storytelling is just everything if you're watching a singer. Yet strangely, though, in the training as a singer... We're so focused on, on the technical side. Indeed, we've just had two Coral Chihuahua sessions on, on choral technical things. Yeah. Can, can you say a little bit more about those, those Methodist concerts? They sound where it all happened. Well, uh, my granddad was the choir master. My, my grandma was the organist. So, uh, you know, I had piano lessons with, with her from age four onwards. And it was a little valley with about uh, where I lived in West Yorkshire, uh, Homefirth. Um, there were about eight brass bands in the valley, so there was there were always things going on musically there, and the Methodist churches were were in those days were full, and um, and that's that was their lives, you know. They'd, they'd meet and they'd put on concerts four or five times a year, and, and there'd be hymn singing and hymn marching through, through in festivals and that sort of thing. Um, so that was our lives really as as youngsters. This is fascinating. Eamon, Harry, you, are, you, are you getting resonances here with your own? I mean, uh, Harry, you were a chorister at Canterbury, so a different sort of world, but performance non-stop. Yeah, very different. I mean, because actually my family weren't at all musical, so um, I, I didn't have that surrounding me. So my music was, was really stemming from the cathedral and everything went from there. But actually, I was fascinated by, by, by Matthew, when we've talked many times in the past. Am I right in thinking, Matthew, that that your your love first and foremost was to act? Yes. Well, I think so. I mean, when I was sixteen, I joined the National Youth Theatre um, at a time when others, all my friends, were sort of going for the National Youth Orchestra. Um, I don't know. Maybe one of the uh, the drama teachers saw something in me, and my dad trained me up for the audition, and I, I was accepted. Um, but I think I found at sixteen, when I'd done that course, that uh, because I'm dyspraxic. I struggled with um, taking uh, information in quickly and processing. Uh, so I was sort of given small roles in the um, in the, the summer course that we did with the National Youth Orchestra. I can understand why. Uh, but of course, I was an animal that just loved telling stories and I had a, that's just a fantastic time. Um, um, so, yeah, at 16, is it was either acting... Uh, but it that became clear actually after that course that maybe not, and um, and then maybe an oboist uh, or, or a singer, and of course the fiddle with uh, dealing with a bad reed was just too much for me. So uh, it was it, it was obvious I was just going to open my mouth and sing. You know that that was <laughs> that was the easy option. Sorry, we're thankful for it actually, Matthew. <laughs> well, yeah, our, our gain absolutely. Let Let's hear you as a as a youngish singer. Um, I won't put an age on it, but this is very soon after you joined Ifagellini. I think this is nineteen ninety two, singing some Monteverdi. This is the Audi Celum from the Monteverdi Vespers, and we'll just join it. Uh, we just joined it about two minutes in, and you've got a very distinguished echo here. This is Roderick Williams as your echo.
Matthew singing, part of the Audi Celum from the Monteverdi 1610, an early Fagellini recording there with Roderick Williams as the echo, uh, David Birchall on organ and Liz Kenny on Theorbo. So you finished school, you came to London and you went to music college. Yes, uh, at 19 I went to um, the Royal College of Music and did four years on the uh, on the thickest course, what some people used to call it, <laughs> performance <laughs> course. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, I wasn't really academically interested. I went to a, a, an A-level college, which was excellent. It gave me all the the, the theory and help that I needed uh, up to probably um, degree standard, to be honest. It was a very specialist um, A-level course. Um, uh, so I, I felt that by the time I got to, to 19, I'd, I'd done enough of that and had piano lessons since four so I was all, all raring to go with the singing and 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 uh, discovering the whole world of everything that, that, that that's available down in London and I had a great time then I did two years postgraduate and got involved in one or two of the operas I did one of the um, Albert Herrings in the new um, opera theatre that was at the Royal College of Music at that time so that was it, it was a great time there and you you started I mean, how did you how did you leak into professional work? Was it one big job? I mean, there there are a few salaried jobs to be had. Uh, well, I learnt the trade, you know, as a student. Um, that uh, I went to uh, one of the local C of E churches in Knightsbridge and uh, learnt how to do uh, a matins service and learnt how to sing in a mass and then the odd uh, even song. Uh, but a lot of my colleagues uh, at college, people like Nigel Short and David Porter Thomas, uh, Nigel was you know the starter of tenebrae and and david was later to go into the swingle singers and we were all terribly interested in, in singing together so we sang uh, a lot of close harmony together and we did concerts together really probably it was their influence that, that got me going singing um, with more of the professional choirs um, and then uh, right at the end of my time at college a job at windsor castle came up uh, offering free accommodation um, I was a father of one then as a student as well with no money. So, it, you know, it was a no-brainer. Uh, go to Windsor Castle, learn the, the trade there. I remember turning up at my first week was just men's voices and they, they produced this this chant which only had four lines. It meant nothing to me at all. <laughs> I, I used to have to go away every day, take the psalms with me and spend half an hour on each psalm before 
um, Evensong. And some of the colleagues there were, they used to laugh at me, but there was no way I was going to learn it uh, unless, you know, putting the hard work in. And now, you know, I wouldn't be quite so frightened. But back in those days, it was a, <laughs> it was a, the thing to do. And then, of course, that opened up. Uh, David Lowe then uh, asked me to go and sing for Richard Hickox. And then, then someone must have heard me and, and asked me to go and sing for Harry with the 16. I have such fond memories of singing with those choirs. Uh, we had a fantastic time. Harry, do you remember um, Matthew coming and singing to you? Did he audition or did he just come straight into a concert? I'm not sure. Do you know, I, I, I think you might have auditioned, but so much of those early days was word of mouth. And uh, I think it was probably somebody like Rob Evans that said, you've got to listen to this guy, Matthew Brook. And I remember, I mean, Matthew did a early Eaton choir book disc for us, but I, I remember you fondly in performances of Messiah because we used to do about a dozen of those every December uh, all over the world. And uh, uh, there was a lot of fun to be had there. And of course, the bass section was full of characters then it's still full of characters now and uh, i i couldn't do without them Eamon, where did you first meet matthew i just i've just been trying to think this um i think it was on a gabrielli consort tour one of my early jobs in fact my first what i'd call my first big job was a a gabrielli concert tour and i can remember sitting next to you matthew on the coach from the airport to the hotel and as this you know sort of keen wide-eyed young baritone and grilling you, you were very good natured and <laughs> and answered every question as I interrogated you about, you know, about the career and you know what I should be doing and <laughs> you, yeah, you took it. I mean, I think look back on it now and sort of cringe with embarrassment, but you were, as ever, extremely good natured and generous with your thoughts. Well, you, you, um, I remember, in fact, I think the first time I met you was after a concert in Oxford and you came to the pub afterwards. It was one of those uh, Phil... Um, oh, that's right. It was a Magnificat concert with Phil. Yeah, Pitt. that's right. Yeah. That was my, I, I, ne- I never forget your enthusiasm. And I, I really... <laughs> I really liked that because there weren't many people that would come down, you know, to, to a total stranger and and um, and enthuse about these sort of things and really want to know. And, and I've, that always struck a, a massive chord with me. I thought this this guy's going to go go places because he's he's interested. He really is interested. And and I think we both shared that that love of, of the leader and, and the love of song, didn't we? And, and, um, and the love of poetry. I could just tell that you 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 and I were of, of like mind. So it it was a total joy when you you went to. Ifadilini and, and uh, replaced me. You know, it's a, a good, fresh, young voice coming in. It was uh, such a, a great, th- great move by Robert, actually. As Robert said, they they were big shoes to fill. Um, and I've just, I was just thinking this morning about how we met in a lay-by somewhere off the M25 for you to hand over the dozen boxes of uh, Ifadilini <laughs> music. <laughs> it probably looked extremely suspicious. <laughs> yeah. the, the, the storytelling, I keep getting, I mean, you're both storytellers. We, we, that is a thing about Fagellini that that I understand. I think a lot about what it is to receive music from an audience point of view, as opposed to what music do we want to do at an audience. And it keeps coming down to storytelling. I was talking to one of my ex-students at York the other day about this, and they'd been to do their music theatre course at the Guildhall. And they were saying, you know, we go up, they're thinking about technique and the belt and all this kind of thing. And you have to have all that. But what the coaches are interested in is in storytelling. And of course they do. I mean, it's like making radio. It's all stories. Talking of stories, um, I do remember your Fagellini audition. I do remember you, you first coming to sing to me. Do you remember that? I do. I remember what I sang for you as well. I think I sang Caccini Sfogava con le Stelle uh, and something else. I can't remember what the other one was. 
But it was Bach. It was Bach. You sang both the um, arias from the B minor mass, which I was astonished by because there's um, the real bass aria down there, not with low notes in, but just an awful lot of presence at the bottom. And I thought, oh, he's a bass. I needed someone with a little bit of sound at the top. And then you sang, just like a baritone. I thought, blimey, (laughs) that's nice. Have you been practicing, Robert? Oh, shut up. (laughs) 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 And then at... Yeah, yeah, I'll be watching your videos actually, Eamon. That's what's, what's happening. Um, and, and then, um, and then I gave you some really tricky Monteverdi from uh, one of those book eight pieces. It goes and they thought that'll fox him. And you just sang it straight. I think I'd sent it to you in advance and thought, well, let's have a look, see if you can do this. And you just sang it straight off. You know, something that we'd always struggled with. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that that I didn't think twice. I remember hearing early recordings of I was it Phil Pickett's. Um, uh, Monteverdi Vespers mm. when, I was, when I was 17 or 18 and 19 that sort of thing and I thought wow that's that's something I never heard before someone actually you know um, machine gun firing those notes out so I'd I say yeah I want to be able to do this I think I'd find it more difficult now um, being that flexible listening back to the old recording of, of uh, Audi Chalem um, well I think with age you know with, with the voice changes didn't we I, I don't yeah. think people would, would employ me to do Audi Chalem they certainly wouldn't for Duo Seraphim I, I, <laughs> I did that I did yeah. that in the Boston LA Music Festival um, and I thought oh I'll have a go I, I used to be able to sing this it'd be fine well it was a mistake it was a mistake Come on, mate. you do yeah. the nation's one of the fastest tempos I ever know and you, oh, yeah. you, you get through those triplets like nobody's business yeah. <laughs> well Caris Lane always used to say that there is the adrenaline factor she would say that you know singing Rejoice at home was very difficult, but in the excitement of a concert, you know, the semi-quavers found their place, sheer adrenaline. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you remember what your first work with Fagellini was? First work? Um, I, hmm. I couldn't quite remember. I remember we went to Italy because I remember you in a rehearsal room singing a very loud soprano top G for no apparent reason. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember the pro- the first the actual first program. I rem- I'll never forget the first Monteverdi Vespers because uh, that was my very first one that we did with you, and that was such an eye opener. Um, but we did some great rep rep in those days, didn't we, Robert? Uh, and there were a massive um, a massive learning curve for me, you know, having to sing in Spanish and and singing in Italian. Uh, you know, we'd we'd had the odd lesson at college, but it was I was really thrown into it. And uh, well, yes, I mean, I, I, Eamon may remember, but uh, what we used to have to do. But we we would go to a place and we would introduce the entire program in the language. I mean, I I didn't speak Spanish, but I understood enough of it. So I would have this thing translated and I would introduce it. But there was that occasion. Uh, in fact, it was more more than one occasion where we were doing a magical comedy, and instead of me introducing it, we would all have our little three line comic introductions translated into the local language, and you know, Caris um, uh, and Rachel and and I would learn ours off by heart, and we would proudly just deliver this thing in Catalan, uh, and you know, unimpressed audience, and then it would get to yours, and everything would stop, and out of your top left hand pocket, you would pull out a little roll of paper which you would underscroll, huge smile to the audience, and then this sort of pigeon Catalan, you would read out this thing. <laughs> Audience goes completely wild, you know. <laughs> See, why on earth do I bother? Blimey. <laughs> I was always so terrified of those situations, but I, yeah, I tried my best. But I was thinking of not just the Fagellini experience, but uh, all that wonderful music we did with the 16, uh, the Eaton Choir Book stuff. Um, that repertoire was, you know, that was a new skill to learn in itself, you know, and being able to to stand up uh, with confidence with your team around you and provide just the glorious sounds of all that wonderful polyphony. polyphony. Um, 
Yeah, that was a, a massive learning curve as well. And, and one of such joy singing with, uh, you know, a larger group of people that were totally on top of their game. And and Harry had such a wonderful uh, atmosphere in the rehearsals. And uh, we did so many discs back in those days, Harry. You know, you, we all these groups were doing six, eight CDs a year. I mean, that we, we, it's, it's a massive effort to do one now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, but with the repertoire we got through and the 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 comradeship that we had. I remember, um, you know, when I was a very keen beginner, you know, giving 110%, you know, wanting to make an impact. And uh, at the bottom of my voice was never very impressive. And I remember, you know, Harry would want some good good strength at the bottom of the the texture and I would try my best. And then very, very gracefully, he would say, I wonder if if, if the baritones might just uh, take it easy there. And I'd leave it to Simon Birchall and Mike McCarthy to provide provide the quality that was actually required and not me trying to breathe like a, a, you know, hoover. (laughs) Incredible music, though. As you said, that was it was very tricky music, that Eaton Choir book. And we did so much of it. I think we did five discs of Eaton Choir book stuff, which was and it was sort of very cavalier. We just did it. We got into the the habit of singing these very complex rhythms and uh, and it's it's it seemed easy by the end. Pull it out today when we've done an Eaton Choir book piece in recent choral pilgrimages. It takes a vast amount of rehearsal, and people think, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, this is really hard." And sometimes when you'd say, "Actually, this isn't working in this pitch. Can we try it um, up a tone or down a tone?" Yeah. And that would that would send me in a frenzy because uh, <laughs> in those days, being an oboist, I knew an A four forty was. And if I had to read anything else other than what I, you know, saw, it was. Uh, uh, sometimes I would go home and, and write the write the music out if it had time, um, and it was very exposed. I'd just write it out so that I knew that I wouldn't waste anyone's time. <laughs> it, it just showed. I mean, to a certain extent, there's a certain amount of living on the edge in this business. I mean, the the British school has a. Uh, a reputation for being able to sight read very, very fast. But when you're being asked to sight read, as Eamon has mentioned before, sight read by heart, that was his birth into Evagenini, uh, or to, to sight read at a different pitch uh, or in a different clef. And it can lead to a certain amount of nervous laughter. And and you and you talked about you and singing next to Rob Evans there, Matthew. Any any good 16 moments there? Or was that more a Gabrielli consort thing where things would get a bit awkward? <laughs> well, Rob was an expert at starting something and then singing quite seriously afterwards, you know, and, and expecting everybody else to uh, control themselves. And I, I just couldn't, you know, he would do uh, Rob Evans. <laughs> He'd do one of those and I, I was just all over. And we're not we're not just talking about in rehearsals, are we? No, no, there's, there has been time where I know I did a recording, a, a concert with uh, Anna Crooks from Ifagellini, and we were trying to do uh, an unaccompanied uh, duet, and we couldn't get beyond the second line. Uh, you know, there was no way, something would get in our minds and we'd start sniggering, and, and then we'd try again, and then we'd try again, and eventually I just turned around and got my white handkerchief out and just said, I think we should better call it a day, let's just bow. <laughs> that was That was it. That was in Edinburgh. I wonder whether any of the Dunedin concert audiences <laughs> recognise you from there. That, I think, was when Nick was ill and couldn't turn up on the day of the concert and we had to completely rewrite it, so there's some yeah. excuse there. But I wonder whether I could refresh your mind of some sessions back in 2003 when we were recording a disc called uh, Andre- of Andrea Gabrielli. Of course, wonderful pieces with brass, fantastic five-part magicals, eight-voice pieces, very, very grand. But there were also two... Uh, two dirty old men songs from the 1570s, Justiniane. Does that ring a bell? <laughs> You'll have to remind me which one that right. is. <laughs> well, let's let's remind you very exactly. Um, this is this is you and and Giles Underwood and Nicholas Mulroy trying to sing 
two pieces. Um, I can't read the translations out, otherwise we have to change the licensing terms for this for this series. Uh, but it did, did involve um, being so in love that you had that you were vomiting, and that word is buto. Oh, yeah. And the other and the other one involved uh, Nicholas Mulroyd. I told him to sing it really badly in a bad tenor voice, and this is what happened. Here's a little compilation for you. it all comes back yeah and and so it and so it went on i had to reduce that from 20 minutes of wasted session time last night with the <laughs> and, and, and poor nicholas just in absolute pain a sort of nervous but this is what it's like i remember that from even song when someone's bouncing ball ran down the um uh, ran ran down between the two choirs during even song what the pain of yes. trying not to laugh <laughs> Robert, you know, I came in for those sessions. That was my first Fagellini recording. Was I came in for a, a couple of the bigger pieces, which had a, a required a few more yes. singers. Uh, and you were still laughing about that. I think this was maybe on the third day of recording. I can't remember. But, you know, I seem to recall Giles just having to leave the room at one point because he just couldn't get himself together. <laughs> that, that was me. I had to go and hide under the piano. Because oh, <laughs> I was no bloody use in the room at all because I was finding it... <laughs> The thing is, that to the rest of them, I'd say, I need you to sing Ma del bel quadro, which means uh, be natural, uh, but it also has a sexual connotation to it. And of course, you always, um, I mean, don't we, all three of us, we always have to exaggerate as a conductor because you know the singers will never quite give them give you what you need. But Matthew gives you it to you straight away and you then get it mirrored <laughs> straight back in your face. Oh, dear me. Well, we uh, did yeah, some... Very, very happy memories. But it's, it's that sort of music, isn't it? That either you give it the full commitment or you don't do it at all. And um, that's what I really loved about about those those sessions. And I know the person in the booth must have been having kittens because, you know, putting on a, a, a recording is a very expensive job. But once you've got the giggles, that is it. Yes, blimey. Um, languages. Um, you, you didn't really study languages at school. That wasn't a thing you did. But yet my wife says you have the best sung French of anyone she's ever heard. Wow. Well, that's that's quite a compliment. No. Um... Odd, though, because she's Russian. But there you go. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I went uh, yeah, at school. It was crazy. The school that I went to, I just went to a normal high school uh, in my hometown. And at 13 and 14, I had a ch an option to either do drama or languages. And I chose drama, which was stupid because i really could have done with knowing the languages and that you know uh, i really regret doing that actually i should have should have definitely had some good grounding uh, i suppose as for um 
you just have to work at it, don't you? And if you've got a good ear, you will, and you, you concentrate and you spend many, many, many hours on it. Um, and I always find that when I'm in rehearsals, wherever I am now in Europe or Canada or wherever, they, they speak a different language. I'm, I'm constantly writing down things on a piece of paper. Anything that I hear, oh, you know, that's 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 the right way to do that word. And even now, I'm, I'm preparing a Schubert song for one of these bite-sized prom things, and I've realised there there are a couple of words that I've been getting wrong for a while. So it's it's a learning curve all the time, isn't it? Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Eamon, you had some things you wanted to ask Matthew, I know. Yeah, it, Matthew, lovely to hear you uh, in the Haydn and, and the Monteverdi. It, and to hear that the core of your voice still remains the same. But I was just wondering about you saying how you wouldn't want to sing Audi now, um, how your voice has changed. You know, you once described to me singing baritone in E. Fagiolini as requiring vocal gymnastics. And uh, I think that was as I was preparing to, to try and fill your shoes in the group. Um, the core of the voice is still the same, but, but in, what, in what way is it different and how have you accommodated the way in which it has changed? Well, I was always surprised when um, I auditioned or, or a, a, an agent came to hear me. And I, I did without an agent until I was about 40. And then an agent came to hear me and um, he said, I think I'm going to put you down as a bass baritone, which for me didn't make sense at all because I'd always been the the higher baritone in, in the in the group uh, with Fagiolini. And, and also, you know, when we were doing the Cantus Firmus for, for Harry with the 16, me and Rob Evans would be the, the pure higher voices i just think there's the flexibility you have when you when you're young and uh, the older you get it um it grounds itself and maybe technically i started singing um in a different way when i started having to sing into 2000 seater audi auditorium 
you're singing with orchestras every day rather than, uh, you know, the weekend you'll be singing with an orchestra and then midweek you might have to be singing um, very gently within a, within the context of a, of a group. Uh, and it's certainly, um, I think the muscles get used to a certain way of singing and uh, hopefully I've, I've retained enough flexibility that I will always be able to sing, uh, you know, the wider the nations when I get into my 60s, uh, you know, still have that ability to sing florid music because most of my house has been paid with uh, singing Bach and Handel. Um, <laughs> and, and I wouldn't want to lose that. Uh, um, although I, you know, I've had a go at singing some Wagner recently, and that was great fun. But, I, you know, no one would employ me to sing that in, in a big place. But um, it's nice to mix it up. But I think definitely the voices got a little bit more solid maybe and maybe I think my technique has improved as well. Oh. 
Well, that was Matthew as Raphael in uh, in Heinz's creation, Rolling in Foaming Billows, from uh, our recording with Handel and Heinz Society back in 2015. And um, Matthew, we were to, you were just mentioning sort of being referred to as a bass baritone, and, and that actually, Ari, really depicts it. But I think, uh, you know, what I've seen in you over the years is this incredible gravitas that can uh, come into the voice. Um, and I've often said to you, you remind me of, of Michael George back in the sort of 80s and early 90s when Michael did everything. He was sort of king of Purcell, mm. Handel and, and Bach. And and for me, you're very much that voice of the day. And But of course, with you, Matthew, you you, you bring the theatre to it all the time. And uh, that that for me is very special. You've always got that twinkle in your, in your eye when you're performing. But what I love, we've just done, um, we did... Um, Dido Aeneas, uh, last year was it, uh, in, in yeah. Boston, we did at the Met Museum. And through, you have this ability to carry people with you. You carried the chorus with you. They were infected by your enthusiasm, your characterization. And um, when we did Fairy Queen back in Tanglewood uh, a couple of years before as the drunken poet, um, you were in character through the whole of that, those, you know, four or five dances at the beginning, but in character when you needed to be and not in character when you didn't have to be so and that that's 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 the sort of you know you're such a, a true artist it's it's fantastic to to uh, you know have you on a stage performing thank you i think i learned uh, a lot from uh, my time with the national youth theater when it was a lot of the training was to do with focus who who's in focus now um and i remember they, they gave us a um an exercise right at the very beginning and he said right i'm going to give you uh, 30 seconds to do anything physically uh, do anything to attract my attention and uh, so 30 of us went mad you know some people were running up and down some people were jumping some people were shouting some people were uh, well doing all sorts grabbing at someone's attention and at the end of the 30 seconds um, the producer said okay right well done you know you've all you've all expended a lot of energy but the person that I noticed most was the person who was just standing very tall with her with her arms in the air like a star and it was still, yeah. And that—that's, I think, being uh, being able to to know when to turn it on, always respect the audience because they're looking at you all the time. So the minute you walk onto a stage, this is what I always tell my younger singers that I that I mentor or, or speak to. The minute you're on stage, you are there, and they're looking at what you're doing. So you know, don't sit on the chair and cross your legs. Because an audience member will say, that person's too relaxed. Why is he switched off? So I always Try and sit tall. Never put my seat, my my back on the back of the seat. Uh, know when I've got to be in character, when I need to attract a bit of, of, of attention, and when not to. And that uh, that comes from those those days in the National Youth Theatre. Really, really valuable. Um, yeah, I'm not surprised actually, because that that, that theatre thing of maintaining the energy even when you're not performing, but mm. but not you know not being in the uh, in the forefront of everything, it, it's very apt. And I I used a lot with the, the singers today, and especially, especially in in Boston with with Handel and Haydn. Uh, this this also relates yeah. to what what Eamon was talking about last week with the whole Chihuahua thing about trying to maintain energy, 
um, yeah. and how that's you know that's hard anyway. But uh, I mean, that's some amazing advice there because I think as musicians we tend generally to think only about the musical side of things, and that's not how an audience perceives it. An audience perceives everything. They've come to be entertained, and that can be that can be entertained by simply hearing a concert of, you know, Eden Choir book music, or they come to be entertained through some. Uh, comic pieces or sad pieces, but it is it is an entertainment business. Yeah, um, and, it, and that can can be said when you're in a big choir as well. You you all your eye always uh, looks out for someone in a choir, don't you? When you see a big group of uh, singers, and those that are switched off, uh, you tell straight away. Those that are looking at their score or doing something else, fiddling, uh, it's it's amazing how how strong an image that is for an audience. Hmm. Matthew, you've, you've given uh, inadvertently perhaps lots of good advice for young singers starting out. But at your end of the profession, if you were starting again now, any thoughts there? Well, I think, um, I think as in life, uh, you, when you walk into a room, uh, you, you choose to engage with people or not. And, um, and I think um, as musicians, I think if you're starting out as a musician now, gosh, what a difficult time. You know, you've, you've done your training and you're, you're really, really ready to put yourself out in the world. Uh, what do you do in this time of lockdown? Uh, and I, my advice was always, uh, you know, go and get a job, go and work in a supermarket, go and stack shelves for Amazon. Um, but don't do that and, and uh, do it with a, a sense of, um, oh, you know, I'm just filling time. This is so annoying. But no, no, study the people that you're that you're working with. There's there's a character who uses that uh, forklift lift truck. Look at what he's doing. He's got such a great sense of humour. Um, you know, I'm observing all the time and i think if any singers that at the moment are twiddling their thumbs you know spend time on your languages and and just really observe people because you're going to need them uh, right now until till your last last uh, breath as, as a singer um that would be my advice just observe and 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 think how could i put that across and use a mirror and uh, record yourself and play around it's great fun it's great fun matthew when i'm working with with young singers um you know, a lot of them are members of consorts or they're doing choir singing, be that, you know, Sunday morning services. They've all got their eye on, you know, hoping to be uh, one day out at the front and, and being the soloist. How did you manage your switch from being, you know, a consort member to, to moving out? Because we've seen this with, with lots of members of you, Fagiolini, there's been uh, Roddy, of course, and James Gilchrist, Robin Blaze, yourself. And in the 16, there's Mark Padmore, Carolyn Sampson, uh, Chris Purvis, uh, you know, everyone's journey will have been different. Uh, mm. When did you feel that it was the right time for you to make that move? Uh, well, for me, I mean, I sang a lot in choirs and, and, and consort groups. Um, I think the big step for me was was going to sing for some conductors that I hadn't sung to before. So I, you know, I sang for John Elliott Gardner and he said, right, come and come and sing in the, in the choir and do the step out solos of the Matthew Passion. And that that was uh, uh, I I couldn't do that until I was in my forties. I didn't feel as I was a strong enough character to to really be sure of myself. Um, so it took a long it was a long boil for me, um, knowing in yourself that actually actually I can do this and I've got the nerve to do it. Um, you know, it doesn't mean to say that you're singing perfectly every time. Goodness me! Uh, but um, I think at some point you 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 are given opportunities and you, you either grab them. Uh, or, or you, you, you're a little bit scared and, and, and maybe feel, feel as though you can't do it to yourself. Um, you'd be amazed what the body can do and, and how it can um, 
how we can actually take a challenge like that. I remember being given a, a new, uh, this was a, a connection with Robert, actually, at the Three Choirs Festival, one of my first things for the Three Choirs Festival in Hereford. Um, I was given a, a, a new commission, and it was, an, it, it was a real nightmare to learn, and I, I didn't know what to do. Uh, it was too high, it was dramatic, and I thought, there's no way I'm going to sing this. What on earth am I going to do? But I just went with it, you know, and, uh, and nobody died as a result of me maybe not singing a great top G, whatever. Um, so I think it's just being willing to have a go, and, and when an opportunity comes, work like mad. Work like mad. Make sure you, you, you know it really well, and that you're not wasting anybody's time on the day that you turn up because the orchestra have got no patience for people that haven't put the hours in and you know the old uh, adage you know if you fail to prepare then prepare to fail uh, so people say you know what do you do in all those hours of, of free time I said well I'm learning learning stuff all the time even at 56 now um, and even if I've got a, a messiah coming up you, you think oh you just turn up and do that don't you well not really no you've got to get yourself into the, the right zone so mm-hmm. um yeah, I think it's just a case of uh, take a challenge and go with it. I'm sorry to hear about your long boil, though. Uh, let's <laughs> let's let's finish. Let's finish with. Uh, let's go back to, to to a Fagellini disc that we made in I think 2002. This is Tompkins, and you've chosen this one. Yeah, it's a very special one for me. Um, in in many ways, uh, I remember just being blown away by the the, the text. The, uh, the fact that it was a really, really exposed um, bit of music making where you had to be ultra, ultra careful with the tuning um, and be one of the four, not never, never standing out and being the, the star of the show. You know, there, there are a couple of very high moments where there's some top S. I don't know if, Eamon, you've sung this one many times, but... You know that there's a, there's a very exposed top F, and it'd be no good singing it singing it as a, a heroic baritone. You know, it just wouldn't make any sense at all. So I remember the achievement of just getting it down on recording and doing a couple of performances um, was so exciting, and it's so expressive the music, and um, um, it, it's one of the highlights of my time with Vagelin. Well, this is Was Ever Wretch Tormented from Tompkins' 1622 book and the singers are Giles Underwood on the bottom, then Matthew as a, as a frilly baritone and then me on the alto part and then Rachel Elliott.
What a wonderful piece and just amazing hearing your control in it, Matthew. Uh, was Ever Itch Tormented by Thomas Tompkins from that um, 1622 book, um, Songs for Three, Four and Five, Six Voices, I think it's called. We call it the Ron Seal book, doesn't it? It does what it says on the tin. Uh, that's the end of Choral Chihuahua for this week. Do please uh, share share as widely as you can. Let people know it's out here. We know what we're doing is quite niche. So if you, there's anyone you think interested, let them know. Uh, and of course, you can also sponsor an episode if you're interested. Just get in touch with us at either groups. Matthew, absolutely lovely to have you here talking to us today. Thank you. Thank you. It has been a great pleasure. And, and what an honour to, to come and share this time with you. And and also to to be talking to re, three really good mates that are, that we've shared the stage uh, so many times. Um, so thank you so much. It's a real thrill. Coral Chihuahua is brought to you by Aoife Agilini in the Sixteen and produced by Perseus the 16 Efagellini and Polyphonic Films. It's supported using public funding by the National Lottery through Arts Council England, and this episode was further sponsored by Hugh and Rowena Rosenbaum, Laura Doherty and Tilman von Delft. If you'd like to sponsor an episode, please get in contact with us through either ensemble. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Just before you go, another reminder to try listening on Patreon, which costs just a few pounds per month. Or, if you prefer, you can very simply make a one-off donation. You can actually do either via coralchihuahua.com. Thanks.